Welcome to this special GSX Plus Daily Edition of Security Management Highlights. David Wolf is the Director of the Infrastructure Security Compliance Division of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Washington, D.C. Annie Hutzinger-Boyer is the Branch Chief for Policy at the CISA Office of Chemical Security. David, Annie, welcome to Security Management Highlights. Uh, thank you so much, Chuck. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, today, I'm, and I'm glad you're here, too. We're going to talk about chemical security around the globe. Of the almost 2,000 shows I've done, I'm not sure I've had this for an interview. I'm very fascinated by this. And you're giving a session at GSX. Tell us about that briefly, David, and then we're going to get into uh, the nuts and bolts of this. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank, thank you for the question, Chuck. Uh, so uh, as, the, uh, as the title of the uh, session suggests, um, the panel discussion will focus on um, efforts to foster chemical security around the uh, around the world, uh, and um, among other things, um, those who participate will hear a little bit about the continuing threat of chemical terrorism, uh, which is really as high as it has ever been, um, both with respect to uh, the prospect of uh, of bad guys. Um, leveraging chemicals for use in attack and or uh, directly attacking uh, chemical facilities. Uh, the continuing threat of chemical terrorism, uh, which is really as high as it has ever been, um, both with respect to uh, the prospect of, uh, of bad guys um, leveraging chemicals for use in attack and or uh, directly attacking uh, chemical facilities. Uh, you know, a threat that uh, spans both physical security, cybersecurity, insider threat, among many other uh, domains, and that spans as well not only uh, terrorist organizations, but uh, sovereign nations, so-called uh, nation states. Uh, and we're going to talk some about global approaches to addressing that, uh, that threat. Uh, so um, work we do through um, bodies such as the G7 Global Partnerships Chemical Security Working Group, uh, a, uh, an initiative as well uh, called the Global Congress on uh, Chemical Security and Emerging Threats. And you'll hear perspectives from, uh, from the chemical industry uh, as well. Gary Davis from uh, Air Liquide uh, will talk about in industry's approaches. Uh, to addressing chemical security. So both, uh, you know, not only physical threats, but cyber threats, insider threats, supply chain threats, among others. Uh, and you'll hear uh, as well during the, uh, the panel discussion uh, from uh, Rick Cupid, who uh, is from the Stimson Centers, a really uh, among the non-government organizations, sort of think tank thought leaders in the, uh, in the space. Uh, so Stimson uh, and Rick uh, have been uh, leaders uh, in a number of respects in the chemical security arena. So, um, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty solid lineup uh, on, the, on the threat piece. You'll be hearing from my deputy, Todd Klesman, uh, who has a, a lot to contribute there. And of course, we have Annie moderating the, uh, the whole deal. So super excited about it. Let's talk about the supply chain chemical security. With COVID-19, we have disruptions, unintended consequences of supply chain disruption, not necessarily because the bad guys are hijacking trucks, but because a manufacturer can't get something out, you know, a plant shut down. Tell me how the supply chain can really disrupt your issue and what you're focusing on and, and cause additional problems. Yeah, no, I, th I think that is a good, uh, a good point, Chuck, and a good, good question. Um, you know, our program in the United States is focused on fixed facilities. Um, but that that certainly includes uh, chemical distribution facilities, which are uh, an important part 
of the supply chain and certainly the overall um, chemical security picture uh, requires that we focus uh, intently on the integrity of the uh, of the supply chain. Uh, and one of the things um, that has concerned us uh, over the course of the last uh, six months, we've been uh, um, uh, confronted with the pandemic operating environment. Is that you know you have uh, some companies um, that are short staffed that are facing. Uh, staffing and operating issues, uh, and you know we have uh, we have worked as have uh, some of our counterparts uh, around the uh, around the globe and uh, and domestically uh, to be to talk with uh, with facilities, talk to them about ways in which uh, they can make adjustments to their security postures uh, to account for these uh, these changes in their operating environment and ensure that they continue to operate securely. But you're absolute, absolutely right uh, that the, uh, the COVID operating environment presents some very unique challenges on the supply chain uh, front and, and on the chemical security front more broadly. Andy, does the supply chain security industry have the same rigid standards as the chemical industry? I kind of think they probably don't. And my second part of the question is, is there coordination going on between these two things? So what we're really hearing from um, our industry counterparts and the, our private sector counterparts is, especially within major industry, um, the, the big chemical companies, um, they are very, very aware of supply chain issues. And, and not just because of chemical security, um, but also because it definitely impacts their bottom line. Um, so recently through the Global Congress, we were able to engage with some supply chain experts. And what we really heard was that especially in the initial stages of a pandemic, we were encountering the types of issues that you talked about, right? So there being issues in terms of receiving chemicals and plants shutting down and in terms of there not necessarily being the staff on site uh, to perform all of the security uh, that was necessary, um, as well as, uh, you know, chemicals getting stopped at the border because borders were closing or there were issues with shipping um, clearances going through within government offices. But what we're seeing now is that a lot of those issues have really smoothed out. Um, we're not seeing the same type of kind of gridlock um, and the accompanying security issues. Instead, what is really being reported is that there are so many new transactions surrounding chemicals because people are producing new types of materials hand sanitizer. You know, if in order to produce hand sanitizer, you need chemicals, some of which could be seen as precursor chemicals. And so the kind of tried and true know your customer programs that had been in place for many years were suddenly encountering all of these new actors. And it was difficult to determine whether they were legitimate or not. You know, it was, um, we heard from the UK Metropolitan Police that, you know, they were seeing large quantities of hydrogen peroxide being ordered and delivered to, you know, a high rise, something that in normal times would definitely raise red flags. But in this circumstance was actually a legitimate purchase because somebody was just looking to have a whole bunch of hydrogen peroxide in order to sanitize like, you know, their entire apartment and the apartments of their families. So um, what we've heard from industry members is that, you know, information sharing is key and um, being able to have those relationships, develop those relationships between the private sector and law enforcement so that when incidents do arise, they're able to be quickly and easily resolved. Um, education of law enforcement so that they understand why 
a major purchase of hydrogen peroxide is even of concern. Um, and then also being able to kind of close that feedback loop after the fact uh, so that industry can kind of quickly adapt what they're doing. They can, can figure out, you know, what new processes need to be in place. They can construct new supply chains if need be. Um, one of our one of our speakers, Gary Davis, um, in the seminar, uh, he like he has a phrase, and I'm sure if if you all listen, you're going to hear it, which is that uh, there are competitors in the boardroom, but partners when it comes to chemical security. And that really is, I think, the, the biggest takeaway that if I could have one takeaway for people who attend our seminar um, is that is that partnership across industry, um, between different types of sectors, um, and across borders is is really something that we've seen be very beneficial in the world of chemical security. I'm going to call myself a security empath, right? So I worry about 2,000 things that people tell me. So tell me what I, what I need to focus on and worry about. What's the number one concern when it comes to chemical security? Is it terrorism, uh, lone wolf factor? What, what, is the, what is the focus in this day and age? Uh, well, really, it is a, it's a threat that's bans uh, a, a number of different uh, different vectors so you know one of the uh, one of the things that keeps me up at night is concern about attack an attack directly on a facility that stores a large amount of uh, of chemicals so for instance we saw within the last um, last several weeks uh, the devastating explosion in Beirut uh, a, a facility containing a large uh, stockpile of ammonium nitrate, you know, just destroyed a uh, destroyed that port of uh, of Beirut and the surrounding uh, community. And although there is no uh, no indication that that was a terrorist uh, act or an intentional act, it, it seems to have been a, an accident. It is the type of uh, attack, uh, the the type of consequence uh, that could be carried out by uh, by bad actors, and that we you know seek every day to try to uh, try to prevent. Uh, both here in the United States and abroad, uh, and those sorts of consequences can 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 um, be brought about uh, through a variety of means. Um, you know, can be can can take place uh, as a result of a lone wolf actor, an insider, um, perhaps who poses a threat uh, to a facility, uh, and releases of chemicals as well can be caused, um, by cyber means. So, um, you know, it is really, unfortunately, uh, all on the table, a very complex, uh, threat environment. So Annie, when I, when I think about chemical security, I, I think of the, the traditional attack where somebody creates a chemical, makes a chemical weapon, steals chemicals, uses a weapon. That's, that's complex, isn't it? Uh, and what David's telling me is, hey, listen, uh, let's just uh, do something in place and create a blevy that spreads out across 20 counties and you got a different issue. I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Where are we on the, on the, the terrorist weaponization of these sort of things? It, it is kind of difficult to weaponize things like this, isn't it? No, not necessarily. So what we talk about primarily in the United States are, are really two different types of threats um, when it comes to uh, facilities, specific security. You know, if we're not talking about necessarily um, 
things moving through the supply chain. But when you're looking at a chemical facility, we look at chemical facilities that could have, you know, a very simple like vehicle ramming type incident. And if there was, you know, a big take of chlorine or propane or something right next to a population center, that could cause a release that would go into the local community. Um, we also, however, do look at kind of that second type of facility where they might have some material on site that an actor could take off-site and, you know, create a homemade explosive or create some type of chemical weapon. So both the precursors as well as the chemicals that, you know, while very useful for industry and very necessary for our economy uh, are in and of themselves potentially toxic um, or flammable. So in the U.S., there are about 50,000 facilities or a little bit less, it, 40 to 50,000 facilities um, that have to report their chemicals to the Department of Homeland Security. Of those, we assess that um, about 31 to 3,300 of them are high risk, which means that they have chemicals in sufficient quantities and concentrations on site uh, where a terrorist actor could actually take them and either cause an on-site release that would impact a significant population or take them off site and um, use them in a scenario that would create significant um, consequences to human life. Now, I'm a little rusty so. on my, my acronyms and, and, and agencies and such, but if I recall, oil, gas, the electric grid, chemicals, these sort of uh, facilities all fall under DHS with very specific reporting guidelines, security measures that have to be in place. We are really to start off in a better place with chemical security than we are with security at Home Depot, right? Because of the nature of it. Have we changed our view on that? Have we have we ramped it up even further? I mean, I know in the guard industry, these are some of the highest paid uh, guards in the industry because of the serious nature of this, of, you know, of what you're protecting. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck I, I, think, um, I think you're absolutely uh, on the mark there. So we have uh, in the United States, uh, and it's, a, it's a, uh, an enterprise that's run out of our organization, uh, something called the Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards Program. So Annie was, as allu was alluding to that. So those th 3,300 or so facilities that we've assessed to be at the highest risk of attack or exploitation uh, are required to put into place security measures uh, to include perimeter security measures, um, insider threat uh, focused measures, personnel uh, surety focused measures, background checks, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they're required to have um, you know things like those guards uh, in place or other means of securing uh, their perimeter. And uh, you're absolutely right as well that the uh, the universe of facilities uh, that um, that hold chemicals very, uh, very diverse in nature. So, you know, it is not only your prototypical chemical manufacturers or distributors, but absolutely oil refineries, uh, agricultural, uh, agricultural co-ops, uh, fertilizer plants, um, high tech uh, sites, semiconductor fabrication sites, food processors, uh, even wineries, breweries, among uh, many other types of facilities use chemicals. Uh, and they are the sorts of chemicals that are very attractive to our adversaries and that uh, do pose a threat in many cases, not only of sort of release into the surrounding community, but as mentioned, sort of theft uh, or diversion and, uh, you know, being fashioned into a bomb or other sort of a chemical device and used offsite. So, Annie, without disclosing too much, uh, tell me how cybersecurity works with you to make this a, a successful enterprise. Here's what I'm thinking. 
you know, I belong to Home Depot, and I have my Home Depot card that that tracks everything I buy. And one day I go out and I buy a thousand bags of fertilizer from twenty different stores. Is that going to go bing on somebody's desktop somewhere to say, "Listen, let's uh, let's see if Chuck needs that much fertilizer." What we might see is if you were to try to buy that fertilizer from directly from a facility, uh, directly, you know from a business uh, that was used to dealing with customers, and it seemed like you might not be a legitimate purchaser, um, that facility would have in place um, a know your customer program if they were high risk. Um, And they would also know who they should go to, um, since there isn't necessarily a red phone out there that's going to ring. They would know, you know, my phone number or Dave Wolf's phone number, and they'd be able to contact us. um, And we would help get them in touch with, say, the FBI or other local authorities who would help them track down whether that was a legitimate purchase um, or it might be a bad actor looking to get gain access to some pretty dangerous materials. Dave, if you were going to tell everybody out there what's one thing they can all do to help you, you know, what might that be to help your agency? If, you know, the average citizen or maybe the average vendor. Yeah, so I, I would say uh, sort of be aware of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, chemicals that um, may be in your midst uh, as an operator of a business or uh, or otherwise. Be aware of your potential obligations under our CFATS program to report threshold quantities uh, and concentrations of chemicals uh, to us at the uh, Department of Homeland Security and sort of enter into our program um, and uh, take advantage of some of the non-regulatory tools and resources that are available. So, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the sort of retail, at the retail level, um, we have uh, programs such as the Bomb Making Materials Awareness Program, which provides education um, to sellers of things like ammonium nitrate fertilizers uh, to give them insights into ways to, um, to recognize uh, suspicious activity, potential suspicious transactions, uh, and information on how to report those, just as uh, as you and Annie were uh, were discussing a moment ago, uh, to the relevant authorities. So awareness, I would say, is the overall um, overall watchword for chemical security. That's that's excellent advice, and I, I will say at the, at the studios after nine eleven, we had some fertilizer bomb training, and I was able to smell that what those components smelled like. I will never forget that smell. And if I'm walking around and smell that one day, boom, I'm on the phone. So I, I think these yeah. are excellent, excellent yeah. points. Now, Annie, uh, in closing, uh, give us your best, uh, your best take on this. Tell us what you might advise people on, on a different level than Dave. Yeah, I think that, you know, the... The session that's going to be presented at the GSX Plus seminar really focuses on global chemical security. And I think that one of the really important aspects that we have realized over the last kind of five or six years leading up to leading up to now is that we can't think about chemical security in a vacuum and chemical security doesn't stop at the border. You know, supply chains are global. Um, If you have, you know, great security on one side of a border, but you can easily procure something either uh, via the internet or just by going in person uh, right across in a neighboring country, uh, both of your countries have a problem. So, Um, In talking to all of these global partners, we've also realized that you really can't silo um, your work within those who are similar um, security practitioners. So really 
industry needs to be talking to government. We need to be talking between all of these folks with policymakers, with law enforcement, with international organizations. Um, so we really have had a great opportunity uh, through the development of this Global Congress on Chemical Security and Emerging Threats and a development of really a network of experts to start formulating all of those relationships. You know, we often say you know, the first time that you talk to somebody shouldn't be after there's an incident. Um, so we're really in the stage now of helping build this global culture of chemical security, this global community of experts. Um, and, you know, we are looking for members. We're, we're open to involving others because, you know, Dave Wolf and I have both worked on the CFATS program for um, over nine years now, and we have a wealth of experience. But talking to others who have have similar experience from other countries is is helping us to really understand better the threats that we're facing at home, um, how we can meet those threats, and how we can share our experience with the rest of the world. David Wolf, Annie Hutzinger, Department of Homeland Security. Thanks for coming on Security Management Highlights. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Chuck. Really. Tune in tomorrow for my conversation with Angela Osborne about Generation Z and the value of multi-generational talent in security roles. And be sure to check securitymanagement.com and gsx.org for more reporting, information, and discussions about GSX+.